Welcome, everybody, especially if this is uh, your first Sunday or one of your first Sundays. Glad to have you guys join us. Go ahead and grab some scripture. Uh, you can use the Bible app if you want to scan a QR code. All the scriptures will be on there. Uh, you can grab a hard copy and the chair around you if uh, that works as well. My name's Dustin. If we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and I'm pumped to get in the Word with you guys this morning. It's been fun to study uh, the passage this week and prepare uh, fun and challenging all together, encouraging all those things, and pray that it'll be the same uh, for us as we study together. We're wrapping up our time in 1 John today, and we'll end the, the Letters of John series next week, but we'll wrap up 1 John today, and then we'll start our Christmas series in two weeks, which is just crazy. Uh, Thanksgiving potluck is a week from today. Uh, more on that at the end of the service, uh, but let's get to it. First uh, John chapter 5. Uh, I want to start this morning, our time, by just laying something out before us and then building the case for the truth of this statement. And here's the statement. There's so much we don't know. Agree? Disagree? As I thought about that this week, so much that we don't know. And then I just started thinking of all the things that I don't know. I started thinking about, the first thing I thought of was stars. How many stars are there in existence? Now, astronomers can count up the approximate number of stars that we can see, but that's not the number of stars in existence. That's something I don't know. How many galaxies are there? I don't know. Chalk that up to the category of things I don't know. How long ago did God create all of this? I don't know. How about this one? Exactly how were the pyramids built? Lots of interesting theories on that one, right? And even on a personal level, how many more years will I live? I don't know. Will I have grandkids one day? I don't know. If so, how many? I don't know. Will we have a good snow year? <laughs> I see thumbs up, right? <laughs> Maybe. But we don't know. How many inches will it snow this year? Well, I'm hoping over 300, right? That'd be a good season. But I don't know. How much will it snow this week? There's some snow at the end of the forecast, end of the week on the four. I don't know. I don't know how much it'll snow. I thought about how long will it be before I have more gray hair than blonde? <laughs> I don't know. Even how long I've been talking so far. Probably none of you are timing it. If you are, we probably need to talk after the service. But how long have I talked so far? I don't know. How long will I talk until we do communion in a few minutes? I don't know. There's so much I don't know. There's so much we don't know. In fact, I'm not sure I even want to see the amount of knowledge that I know versus the knowledge in the universe. I don't even want, it's, it's got to be very minuscule, right? How much I know versus how much there is to know. The average person knows slash has the ability to use about 
25,000 words. That's what the Google machine told me this week. And I'm like, I think I'm way less than that. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking I'm maybe, maybe, I don't know, 900 words that I know and can use regularly. And just in comparison, any idea how many words a large dictionary has? About 500,000. And so that alone makes me feel smartless. <laughs> and so hear this. When I, when I look at the scriptures and when I, I, I'm intrigued when the Bible talks about what I can know. In light of everything that I don't know, I'm intrigued when the Bible talks about what I can know. And the vast array of things I don't know, even things I can't no, my ears perk up when I hear something that I can know. And as we wrap up 1 John today, listen to all the things John has said so far, just in this little letter, just in this little letter of 1 John, listen to all the things he said that we can know. We can know that we know God. We can know that we are in God. We can know the truth. That's a good one. We can know that Jesus is righteous. We can know that we will be like Jesus. We can know that Jesus came to take sins away. We can know that Jesus is sinless. We can know that we have passed out of death and into life as believers. We can know love. We can know that God abides in us. We can know the spirit of God. We can know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. We can know that we love God's children. We can know that God answers prayer. Asterix, prayer meeting tonight. Good opportunity to know that God answers prayer. John continues, we can know that we will not make a practice of sinning. We can know that we belong to God. We can know that the Son of God, Jesus, has come. We can know that the Son of God, Jesus, has given us understanding, as we'll see here in a second. We can know him who is true. And that's not even an exhaustive list just from 1 John. There are other places where John says that we can know just in this little letter. Things that we can know. In fact, the last nine verses of this letter, John uses the word know seven times. Many scholars agree that the main point of this letter, get this, is to give believers assurance in their faith assurance in their faith. One author says this, Christianity is not an I hope so or even an I think so faith. It's an I know so faith because of what God has revealed to us in His Word. And today we'll focus mainly on verse 13 in chapter 5. But first, just so we're faithful to at least consider some context here in uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And so right at the beginning of chapter 5, John gives more evidences that someone is a true believer. You're wondering what the evidences are for someone who's a true believer? In your time this week, read verses 1 through 5. In verses 6 through 12... John gives some evidences that Jesus is truly the Son of God, that He's truly deity. And so if that's a puzzle in your head, if it's something you question, then that's a great place to spend some time this week. Verses 6 through 12, 
evidences that Jesus is truly the Son of God. And then we get one of the major theme verses for 1 John. Scholars will point to this verse and say, this is, this is one of the main themes, this is one of the main verses in this little short letter. And so that's where we're going today. I better get there. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. John says this, I write these things to you, and so if we're pausing just for a second, these things, it could mean these things, the evidences that he's just given, that Jesus is the Son of God, he could intend us to reflect on the whole of the letter. These things in this letter that I've written you, either way, he's going to go back to what we can know. And so, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that's writing to believers, that's who he's talking to, that you may what? What does it say? Know that you have eternal life. I'm writing these things to you as believers so that you'll know that you have eternal life. So what is this that we can know? In light of all the things that we don't know or can't know, what's this that we can know? That as believers, we have eternal life. That this present world isn't all there is. That there's an eternal life for us who are known by Christ Jesus and are his children. This is starting to get to the heart of this question of eternal security. Is our salvation, is our eternity something we can lose as believers or not? Can we lose our salvation and therefore our eternity with Him as believers? This question of eternal security. Maybe you've grown up with that belief or maybe you still cling to that belief that somehow as His child that you can lose your salvation and lose your eternity based on your morality or how you believe that our eternal destination after we die is always up for debate based on how we live, that there's no way we can really know whether we're going to make it to heaven or not. It's the doctrine of Santa Claus, right? I usually have a strict no Christmas music policy until after Thanksgiving, but this song I'm about to sing you is strictly for educational purposes. And so this is not for my enjoyment. I'm not enjoying Christmas music before Thanksgiving, just educational purposes. Again, the doctrine of Santa Claus. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Jesus is coming back to town and if you've been good, he'll usher you into eternity with him. And if you've been bad, well, he's bringing you this bag of coals, and he's going to light it on fire and sit you on it for eternity, so be good. <laughs> wow. And this might make sense in your view of God if your view of God is some cruel, cold deity that really doesn't care much about you, or if your view of God is just some cosmic pushover who's going to let you off the hook anyway. 
Again, kind of like Santa Claus. Going to bring you presents either way. But when we see God as a loving Father, we begin to see that if He left our eternity with Him in question, that'd actually be a cruel thing to do. So as a good Father, He desires to give us as believers an assurance of our salvation and our eternity with Him. An assurance of such. How terrible would it be if I always left my kids' future and their identity as a child up in the air anytime I went on a trip? A few weeks ago, went to a conference in San Diego. And what if I got my Bradens at college? He doesn't count anymore. Anna Kate and Trek, they're in the house, they live with me. What if I brought them to me and said, Hey kids, I love you. I'm gonna go on this trip. I'll miss you while I'm gone, and I'll be back. Or maybe I won't. <laughs> maybe I won't be back. Maybe when I come back, I'll come back, but you won't be my kids anymore. And you don't get to live in the house that we live in. I'm not sure. Just be good. (laughs) Be good. And we'll see what happens when I get back. What kind of cruel father would I be, right? And as I processed that, that kind of motivation might get some obedience or results from my kids initially, right? Like as they thought, oh man, well I still want to be his child, I still want to have a place to live, so I better be good. It might get some obedience or results, but eventually the fruit of that kind of fathering will result in, at best, begrudging obedience, right? As they begin to process, I'm not even sure dad really loves us if he's he leaves our security and our identity up in the air like that. And so at best, I might get some begrudging obedience. At worst, bitterness and rebellion, right? That's where that would go. And depending on what kind of tradition you grew up in, you can remember that feeling, maybe as a child, of eventually bitterness and rebellion, realizing that a loving father wouldn't treat his kids like that. A loving earthly father would seek to assure his kids of his eventual return and of his love for them in the meantime, right? Get this, it's the grace-filled love of that father that motivates and empowers obedience, right? Not the threat of being kicked out of the family and no longer having the father's love. And this is the kind of love we're told our Lord has for us. That's the kind of love our Lord has for us, a love that assures us, a love that seeks to show us his unconditional love and has showed us his great love for us. Here are a few verses on his permanent, unfailing love for us. And these were helpful for me to work through this week as I consider what does it mean to know? What does it mean to be assured of the Father's love and of our future with him in eternity? What does that even look like? Well, look at John, the Gospel of John. Flip back a little bit. John chapter 6, I'm just going to read a few verses here, two from 
Jesus himself, and then one from Paul in Romans, John chapter 6, verses 39 and 40. Jesus says this, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And you're like, well, what, what, what is that? Well, what? Hey, let's continue. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus' words. Flip over just a couple of pages to the right. John chapter 10. This is verses 28 and 29 in John chapter 10. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That's verse 30 right there at the end. And then Romans chapter 8, if you're flipping a little farther over to the right, Romans chapter 8. Love this. This may be exactly why the Lord's brought some of you here this morning to hear the truth of what Paul says here. Chapter 8, verse 35, and then we'll skip to 38, 39. Paul asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And then look at verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing. Did you hear that? Nothing. Well, what about my struggle? What about my sin? Nothing can separate us. Look at it. We will be, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And it's worth clarifying this assurance that we're talking about of our eternity, this assurance that we're addressing here. What we can know is for those who have given their lives to Christ, who have placed their faith and their trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross and believe he rose from the dead to give them life. If you believe that and strive to walk in that, then the promise of eternity with him is yours in Christ. You can have the assurance of eternity with him. If you haven't gotten to that point in your life, your eternity is sure as well. It's an eternity of suffering apart from his presence. But we can be certain of our Eternity, either way. If you haven't gotten to that point in your life, it's never too late. I thought, I thought back to the thief on the cross who turned to Jesus in literally his last day. It's not too late for you to turn to Jesus either, that you may have the assurance of eternity with him. Well, what will this eternity with him be like at as I got to this point in preparation, in considering the assurance of salvation and eternity for believers, 
when I got to this point, I was like, you know, I started thinking, well, what, what will it be like? Is this something I should look forward to? I remember as a kid thinking that eternity with him was just one big sing-along. And that was a problem for me because I hated choir. I like singing now, but I hated choir. And I was like, okay, so heaven is this eternal singing time, and I hate singing, so maybe I don't want heaven. Like maybe, and I remember feeling so guilty of like, oh, that can't be right. I can't not want heaven. And then we see in Revelation chapter 21, if you have your scriptures, you can turn there. One of my favorite passages because it gives hope for what eternity with Him will be like. If we're talking about assurity, we're talking about assurity in our faith and eternity. What are we talking about? Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. This is what John records Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Well, what will that be like? Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Does that sound good to anybody? And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Wow. If you're a believer in Christ, you can be assured that this is your future. And if we're assured that this is our future, get that. I want us to get this. That changes how we live today. If that's our future, which as believers we can be assured that it is, if that's our future, then it changes how I live today. That kind of grace and love heaped on me that eternity would be given, would be bought with Christ's blood on my behalf and then given to me, that changes how we live Today, if that's my future, if what we just read there, if that's my future as a believer, what does it matter what someone says or thinks about me? I mean, immediate application, right? What does it matter what, if someone's saying something about me that may not be true? What if it is true? <laughs> and it's, does it matter? If that's my future... What does it matter if I suffer in this life? That gets even a little deeper, right? If that's my future, 
That's not to minimize our hurt and our pain. It's real. It's warranted. But if what we just read, if that's my future, what does it matter if I suffer in the here and now in this life when, with eternity in mind? If that's my future, why would I worship anyone or anything else? Why would I have idols when He's the true God? And with that in mind, let's finish 1 John. We're going to read the last few verses here. Verse 19. And again, pay attention to what we can know in light of everything that we don't know. What can we know this morning? Verse 19. And again, he's writing to believers here. We know that we are from God And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we can know that the Son of God has come. That's what we're about to celebrate at Christmas, right? We can know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Again, in light of all the things we don't understand. That's a big pile of stuff we don't understand. He has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true of all the things that aren't true of all the thing of all the lies the enemy seeks to lead us down those path of lies we can know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son jesus christ he is the true god and eternal life and then we get this peculiar ending here it's a strange last sentence to me on the surface. Little, tri- little children, meaning all of us. It's not just talking about young, young humans. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And then it just ends. May we be assured of these truths today. That Jesus has come and given us understanding. That we might actually know Him not about him, know him, and live our life in him and him in us. And we can be assured of this, that he is the true God. And for believers, when this body passes away or he comes back, eternity with him is a true to life, take it to the bank kind of reality, and I can't wait. Therefore, church, don't waste your time with idols, with false gods. Don't waste your time bowing down or sacrificing for anything else in your life. He's the true God who as a good father has promised eternity to his children. He's Jesus, the Messiah. May all our hope be in him. Let's go to him in prayer. As we spend a few moments in prayer here, maybe the Lord takes you back in your heart and your mind to some of the scriptures that we read of His great love for us, of the fact that that love was demonstrated by His death on the cross in your place. 
Jesus for you. And the truth of that, the power of that was displayed by Jesus then coming out of the grave and living his life in us, us in Christ and Christ in us. How amazing is that? And the seal that all of that is true is that he places his spirit in us. And then as if that's not enough, he gives us eternity with him. Amazing. Jesus, our Messiah, may our hope be found in you, Jesus, today. We tell you that we are unworthy of your sacrifice. We're unworthy of everything you've shown us. And yet while we were sinners, Jesus, you still died for us. And I pray for us gathered here this morning, right here in this building. We know, Lord, our eyes get focused on the things in our lives, the the horrible stuff, the terrible stuff, whether it's stuff on the news or whether it's real life news in our lives. The hurt, the baggage, the pain, the tears. And I pray, Lord, especially for those of us that are walking through hard stuff, that our eyes would be turned up toward you, Jesus, and focused on you and our eternity with you. And that if we're in a place of feeling like our eternity always hangs in the balance based on our morality, that we would fall fully onto your grace and what you've accomplished for us. that we might have assurance of your great love for us and the eternity that you've promised your children. And knowing that, Lord, that actually ends up creating life change in us. It's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. I pray, Lord, that as we sing, as we take communion together, Lord, that you'd continue to move in us that you'd continue to do the unexpected in us this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your body broken for us, your blood shed for us. We thank you for the fact that you live even today. I pray these things in your name. Amen.